welcome to the UGA BCM podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the UGA BCM right on campus in Athens, Georgia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. All right, now into the text. Matthew chapter 26, verse 63 through 67. We're still answering this question of who is Jesus. And so tonight what we're going to see is that Jesus is the Son of Man. Remember, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we spent a couple weeks talking about that Jesus is the Son of David. Now we're going to spend two weeks talking about that Jesus is the Son of Man. Tonight we're going to look specifically at Matthew chapter 26, verse 63 through verse 67. And we're going to see really the clearest place where Jesus defines himself as the Son of Man. Now, he also does this over in Matthew chapter 24, where he's talking to his disciples. And and Jesus actually references to his disciples a couple of different times that he's the son of man. And uh, when you hear this idea that he's the son of man, we think of Jesus as the son of God, right? And so if you're not careful, what you do is you think, well, Jesus says he's the son of God, showing his divinity. And then he says he's the son of man, showing that he's human. Matter of fact, what we find is that 107 times in the Old Testament, the phrase son of man is used. 93 times just in the book of Ezekiel alone, the the term son of man is used. And it can be confusing because in the majority of those times, particularly in Ezekiel, that you see it being referenced as the son of man, it is speaking to the humanity of a particular individual. However, when Jesus calls himself the son of man, it's kind of like the SEC. It just means more. You understand what I'm saying? Right? Like that's the point. When Jesus says he's the son of man, there's more to it than just that. And so what we're going to do tonight is look at this particular instance in uh, Matthew chapter 26 and see this is after Jesus has been arrested. This is before Jesus has been crucified and he is before the high priest Caiaphas. And uh, it's, it's really an interesting story here because they're trying to get Jesus uh, to really implicate himself as guilty for uh, blasphemy because the punishment for blasphemy was death. Right. And so if you think about the story of Jesus and what took place is Jesus was going around performing all these miracles. Jesus was going around and he was healing the sick and uh, Jesus was telling people they were forgiven of their sins and Jesus was raising people from the dead. Well, the bottom line is, is that any uh, good uh, religious leader uh, or any good religious Jew during this period of time would have understood very simply the same thing that we understand. Which is, in a normal everyday occurrence, the only people, or excuse me, the only person that can heal people from the sick, or from being sick, can raise them from the dead, and can forgive people of sin is who? Somebody tell me. God. Right? Only God can forgive you of sin, right? Only God can raise somebody from the dead. And so the Jewish, uh, Jewish religious leaders of the day understood that, and so they sent the Pharisees around to follow Jesus. Now, you've got to understand that it was common practice during this period of time. If you know anything about Scripture, you know that the Bible tells us that Jesus came at the fullness of time. What history tells us, and part of the understanding of that fullness of time, in other words, the right time in history for Jesus to come, is that there was a 400-year drought, literally, in prophecies that had taken place in the life of the nation of Israel. And so all of these uh, people in the nation of Israel, uh, they were desiring for there to be another prophet because it had been 400 years since Malachi had prophesied. And so in the quietness of this 400 years, there began to raise up these individuals who would say that they were religious leaders and they would gather followings. And so the Pharisees would go around and follow these guys who were telling they're doing these teachings and claiming to do all of this stuff. 
and, uh, and then they would report back. And they would report back to the rest of the religious leaders and to the council, and they would say, hey, all right, this guy's a fraud, right? There's nothing to this guy. And then some of those guys, they would also have killed, and then when that happened, all of their uh, followers would scatter, and boom, that was the end of it. So you had this heightened sense of awareness of the fact that the Messiah was being promised. And you had all of these religious teachers and all these folks who were trying to gather up uh, really a rallying cry to overthrow the Roman government. And thus Jesus pops on the scene. And Jesus is very different in the things that he says. And so the religious leaders saw all of these guys that were popping up on the scene as a little bit of a threat. But Jesus takes it to a whole nother level because he's healing people, raising them from the dead, and telling them they're forgiven of sins. And so now here we are where Jesus has been arrested and he's before Caiaphas. And so let's read what happens here beginning in verse, uh, and we're going to actually start in verse 59 so you can see the background of this. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus. So that they might put him to death. Remember they want him to uh, blaspheme something. So that they've got a right to put him to death. They did not find any. Even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on two came forward and said. So imagine this. They've got Jesus arrested. They're doing this trial in the middle of the night. When actually wasn't legal to do it. And they're bringing these folks up. Who are just making up these stories about Jesus. But there's no way that they can confirm these stories about Jesus. And so they're passed off as false witnesses. And then two guys came up. And why is it important for two to come up? Because if two in a court of law. Under the Roman law. Uh, and even under the Jewish law. During this period of time. Uh, if they testified that somebody had done something. Or said something. It was considered as if. Hey it's, it's a done deal. They've done it. Does that make sense? You staying with me? Alright. And so it says two came forward. And check this out. And said, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and answered to him and said to him, I should say, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. So they're looking for him. To say, yeah, I claim that, right? And that was referencing in uh, a prophecy as well. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and then they, they're wanting him to say, hey, I'm the son of God. Because if Jesus says, hey, I'm the son of God, they're going to say, boom, you're claiming to be divine. You're claiming to be God. Boom, you're going to die. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, you have said it, to your, or you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter... You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, He deserves death. Then they sped in his face and they beat him with their fist and others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Let's pray. Lord, help us to see tonight, especially if there's someone here tonight who has questions about who Jesus is, that the most well-educated religious leaders of his day had major issues with the claims that he was making. Help us all to see that the reason they had issue with those claims is because with their understanding, they thought they were so outlandish. 
So Lord, I ask you today that you let not a single one of us leave this place questioning that Jesus made specific certain claims about who he was. Lord, if the educated religious leaders of that day that interacted with him, Lord, believed he was making those claims, Lord, help us to see today how foolish it is for us to say, oh no, Jesus never said he was God. Oh no, Jesus never said that he was prophesying about anything. Help us today to recognize that Jesus had to be more than just a teacher. He had to be more than just a good man. He had to be more than just someone claiming to be a prophet. Lord, help us to see through your word today what it means when Jesus said he was the son of man. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now there are those out there today who will say Jesus never claimed he was God. There are those out there today who will say Jesus never claimed he was the Messiah. There are those out there today who will say Jesus never claimed this or Jesus never claimed that. And there are even groups who claim themselves to be Christians today who will say such things as that. What I want you to understand tonight is this, is that Jesus made some crazy, crazy, crazy claims. And if even the educated religious leaders of that day recognize the crazy, 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 crazy claims that Jesus made, I got to be honest with you. We would be very foolish today to try to pass Jesus off as just some really good human being. Does that make sense? We would be very foolish today to pass Jesus off as not saying that he was God in the flesh. And so with that in mind, let's look at three things about this story. Number one, I want you to see the question of Caiaphas. In verse 63, uh, the Caiaphas simply says to you, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. The question was very simple. The Pharisees' claim was that Jesus claimed to be God. We said earlier in the introduction, the reason that this claim was uh, said to be what Jesus was claiming was very simple. Because Jesus did things that only God himself could do. At the very minimum, Jesus did things that only someone that was divine could do. Do you understand what I'm saying when I differentiate even just that? All right, and so we see here that the Pharisees are trying to get him into this trap. They're looking for testimony to prove his guilt, but Jesus wouldn't speak. He remained silent. So Caiaphas simply asked him directly. All these folks come in. They say what they say. Then these two guys come in, and they say, hey, this guy said he's going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. By the way, did Jesus make that claim? Did he make the claim that he was, the temple is going to be torn down and rebuilt in three days? Did he? Yes, yes, what was he referencing? His death, burial, and resurrection, right? His death, burial, and resurrection. And so Jesus doesn't deny that, but instead Caiaphas looks at him and says, tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. So we see the question of Caiaphas. Now if Jesus right there says, yes, I am the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus would have been telling them, point blank, I am the Messiah. I am God in the flesh right here today. That's what Jesus would have been telling them. But Jesus says something a little different, and this is where people get confused. Because we see not only the question of Caiaphas, but we see, secondly, the answer of Jesus. In verse 64, Jesus says these words. You have said it yourself. So Jesus basically looks at him and says, yeah, you said it. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say yes. He says, yes, by going, you said it yourself. 
In other words, I don't have to tell you this. You said it yourself. But then he adds something different. And he says, what does he say there? Nevertheless, I tell you. So he said, you're right. You said it. But just in case you were wondering. He says, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, why in the world would Jesus say this? What does that mean? If you just read it on the surface level, you're like, huh, what in the world is he talking about? Is he talking about somebody else? Is he saying, uh, you're the one that said that, I'm just human. Is that what he's saying? No, that's not what he's saying. Because what you have to understand when you read Scripture, especially Scripture that can be a little confusing, is you have to read it in the context of not just what's around it, but also in the context of the entire Bible. Right? Because what happens is, is that a lot of times when you find a text that's difficult, if you're not careful, you'll get stuck on that text but if you'll read it in the context of the entire Bible and you'll cross-reference where else you see that passage referenced or where else you see something said like that, all of a sudden things will come together and they'll begin to make a lot of sense. And that's what we see right here. Because what we find is that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 through verse 31, Jesus had privately told his disciples that he was the Son of Man spoken of in Daniel chapter 7. And now what's happening is publicly, here at the end of his life, he is publicly in front of the Jewish high priest Caiaphas saying, yes, that's me. That which his inner circle, which the disciples had heard in chapter 24 of Matthew, now in chapter 26, he's been arrested and he's been told, hey, by God himself, you answer this question. And he says, you said it, now here's more for you to understand I am the Son of Man, and you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So I want you to, if you will, flip back with me to Daniel. To Daniel, chapter 14, or excuse me, chapter 7, verse 13 through verse 14. Now, Daniel is a really cool book because Daniel sees all these visions. And Daniel has a couple of different, there's like kind of a couple of different sections to Daniel. First, we find the story out about Daniel. Remember what happened to Daniel? Right? Daniel was a young guy, and uh, the, uh, the Jewish people were taken captive. Y'all remember that? Right? And so uh, it's this crazy story about Daniel and how Daniel rises to a really influential place because of his ability to interpret dreams and have these visions. But then what happens is, is that there's a, another portion of Daniel where Daniel begins to prophesy and, and begins to share these prophecies. And Daniel chapter 7 Verse 13 and 14 is one of these prophecies. And notice what he says. He says, I kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now, where else do we hear about Jesus having a kingdom that will not be destroyed and a dominion that's an everlasting dominion? Well, don't we read a lot about that in what we led up to a couple weeks ago talking about Jesus being the son of David? Right? That was some of the prophecy that was told to David about his sons, right? And so now we see this also when Daniel is prophesying about the coming son of man. Now, here's the deal. Jesus is currently, in Matthew chapter 26, walking on the face of the earth. 
But Daniel talks about something that's going to happen later where the Son of Man comes on the clouds. And you go, well, you got you to you connect some dots for me, Tommy, because it's a little confusing. How is that Jesus? Well, check this out. Number one, Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 through 31. And we're not going to read that specific, but you can go back and read it yourself. It's, again, Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 through 31. Jesus tells the disciples he is the Son of Man. Right? Jesus tells the disciples he is the Son of Man. And then check this out. Flip over to Revelation. Revelation. First of all, uh, in Revelation chapter 1, uh, and really uh, all of verse 10 through verse 18, we're given an image of what, of what John sees on the Isle of Patmos. And uh, notice out what this says beginning in verse 10. This is John speaking. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos and for preaching the gospel. And he has this vision. He says this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, check this out, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, this is important, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, <laughs> and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which you are, and the things which will take place after these things. Does anybody understand what's happening there? Do y'all realize who actually spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos? In his vision, who was that? Y'all can talk back right here. Who was that? That was Jesus. It was Jesus. Right? So Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's resurrected three days later, right? And when he resurrects, he shows up to a whole bunch of people who all have these testimonies about him showing up. I mean, to the point that they're willing to die for this crazy story about a man who went in the grave and three days later came out of the grave. Right? And then one of those guys, John, ends up literally exiled on an island for what he's preaching. And he writes a letter back. And there's all kinds of symbolism in it and all that kind of stuff. Because he's literally having to get a letter, literally like smuggled back into these seven churches. And he writes in that letter that in this vision on the island of Patmos, that he sees one that looks like the Son of Man. Who said he was the Son of Man? Jesus. And then as he describes him, and he describes what's said, what does he say? He says, I am what? He says, I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. And then when you turn over to Revelation chapter 14, verse 4, or verse 14, it gets better. Then I looked... And behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one 
like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So here, John is writing about when Jesus returns and what that imagery looked like to him on this vision, this vision on the Isle of Patmos. And when you go back and you look at Matthew chapter 26, sure enough, and then if you go back and you look at what Daniel said, sure enough, <laughs> I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and, come, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is literally looking at the high priest. The highest earthly religious leader of the day. And he is communicating who he is. The prophesied Messiah. And even better than that, he is communicating to Caiaphas, who he knows is about to start this process, really already has started this process, of putting him to death. And he's looking at him, he's saying, hey, you're the one that said who I am. But while you're asking, let me tell you what else you need to know. Literally, Jesus is looking at Caiaphas and saying, hey, you do what you got to do, but it ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? So literally, as Jesus says he's the son of man, imagine being Caiaphas for just a second. Schooled in all the Old Testament, right? And you hear Jesus literally quote Daniel. You, he literally quotes Daniel. And so Caiaphas goes, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Hold on a second. This man just quoted Daniel and the prophecy from Daniel that we've looked to to see who the Messiah is going to be. Jesus just did it. So for anybody out there that you run across, any professor that you run across, anybody you meet on campus that you run across, anybody back home that you run across, anybody that you work with that run, you run across, and they're like, yeah, man, Jesus, he's a great man. He's a great teacher. But he's just a human. We got a problem with that. You know what the problem is? It's what Jesus himself said. It's what Jesus himself said. Because in the context of everything that was going on, when Jesus quoted Daniel, and he says, you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds from heaven. And when he says, yeah, you're right, I'm the Son of God, you said it. He can't just be a good guy. If I stood up here today and told you that I was the second coming of the Messiah, if I stood up here today and told you that I was divine, if I stood up here today and told you that I was God in the flesh, tell me what you would do. You'd tell me I was an idiot, wouldn't you? Right? And I would be. But here's the deal. Jesus, he died, he was buried, and he raised from the grave. He died, he was buried, and he raised from the grave. So here's what I want you to see tonight. Not only the question of Caiaphas and the answer of Jesus, but I want you to see, just in case there's any other question, the response of the council. What do they do in verse 65 through verse 67? It says they literally tore their clothes and beat him. It says they spit on him, and then it says that they made fun of him and said, why don't you prophesy who's hitting you? You think Jesus wasn't making a claim that he knew what had happened in the Old Testament and the fact that he was making a claim that he knew what would happen at the end of time? 
Well, how about the fact that what they did is they beat him, they slapped him, they spit on him, and then they said, hey, Christ, why don't you prophesy to us who's hitting you? They took him serious. They took him serious enough to say, this man is blasphemed and he deserves death. Because they knew it just meant more. Jesus' claim as the Son of Man meant that he was claiming not to be just human, but he was claiming to be the heavenly exalted one. Now here's the reality of it. Next week we're going to come back together and we're going to look at what else Jesus' claim meant. And we're going to talk about all the power that Jesus was claiming to have with this title. There's about seven or eight things that we're going to see next week when it comes to what Jesus was claiming by simply saying that he was the Son of Man. And we're going to look through a bunch of Old Testament scripture, but we'd have been here till 10 o'clock tonight if we'd have done that, so we're not doing that tonight, okay? But what I want you to understand tonight is simply this. The first thing that Jesus was claiming when he said he was the Son of Man is that he was the prophesied Messiah who would return again. That he was the prophesied Messiah who, was ter- who would return again. So any claim made otherwise, that Jesus never said these things, any claim made otherwise, that Jesus was just a good teacher or just a prophet, it just doesn't work. Because the guys that lived during the time period that he lived, the guys who dealt with the context of life that he dealt with, if you would have told the Pharisees, the ones who wanted him killed, if you would have told them some of the craziness that we hear in the secular society today about those claiming that, oh yeah, this guy Jesus, he lived. We can't argue that because historical evidence said this dude Jesus lived. But yet they then just try to pass him off as just a historical figure. If you'd have went back and told the, the folks in his world during his time that he lived, his contemporaries that, they would have laughed you off the face of the earth. Because even they recognized either he's God or he's a liar. And they chose that he was a liar. That's what they chose. And thus they said that that was punishable by death. So, with that in mind, here's the question. And this is it tonight. What are you going to do with this claim? What are you going to do with this claim? you got to do something with it. You, you have to do something with the claim that Jesus makes. I told you when we talked about him being the son of David. The response to him being the son of David is that he is the rightful heir to the throne of David, right? But better than that, he's the prophesied son of David, which means he's going to reign forever and ever and ever, which means he de- deserves all the glory and all the honor. Right? That's what we said, isn't it? That's what we said. So you got to decide tonight as well, what are you going to do with this claim? Jesus said he was the son of man. There's one of two things to do. There's no middle ground. His contemporaries understood that. For some reason in 2023, we think there's a middle ground. There's not. You either believe him And you respond in a way that shows that belief. Or you don't. Or you don't. 
Now here's the thing. And this is going to sound hard, and I know that, but it's the truth. If you don't believe Him, then you're in the same camp that Caiaphas and the council was in. If you don't believe Him, there's no middle ground. You might as well beat Him, slap Him, spit on Him, and make fun of Him. That's why the Bible actually tells us that while we were enemies with Christ, He died for us. That's what the Bible says. While we were enemies, He died for us. There's a better option. There's a better option tonight. And that option is to take Jesus at His word. And to understand that if what Jesus said to Caiaphas is true, one day he's going to return in the clouds. Now, I don't want you to get caught up in the weeds and be like, hold on, how we interpret Revelation, da-da-da-da-da. I think one of y'all's preachers is preaching through that. He can tell y'all how y'all should interpret it, or y'all can fuss with him about it. I don't know. There's about 20,000 ways you can interpret it and be okay. Not 20,000, really like two or three. But anyways, hear me tonight. The point is not getting caught up in the minutia of what Revelation says. The point is understanding this. Jesus said that he would return. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said right before that, you're right. I am the Son of God. Those two guys said that I said I would tear down the temple and raise it up in three days. And guess what Jesus did? He was buried. Three days, he rose from the grave. That's what happened. So how do you respond in belief? How, how do you respond if what he says is true? Well, it's very simple. It's very simple. You recognize who He is. You recognize if He is who He said He is, then your need for Him is very, 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 very real. Because what Jesus also said is this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through what Jesus said and if that is true that means he's going to return again one day to call his people home home to where to heaven right now the Bible tells us to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord Jesus if we know him as Lord and Savior so ultimately if you die before he returns you're going to heaven you're cool you're, you're good but one day, everybody else, he's going to come and return to call home. Those who are believers. What I would also add is this. The cool story of the Bible is not just that we will be present with him when we die. But the cool story of the Bible is, is that one day when he returns, number one, first he's going to kick butt and take names. I love that. It's awesome. Number two, eventually what's going to happen is, is he's going to create a new heaven and new earth. And everything that sin broke and messed up, Jesus is going to redeem and make new. Isn't that crazy? So if all that is true, 
you got to respond and realize that he's the only way to salvation. So you say, Tommy, okay, I get it. How do I respond? Well, it's very simple. Very simple. The Bible tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us sin, we mess up, and we're separated from him. And if we die in that separation, that separation lasts for all of eternity. But the Bible also tells us that while the wages of our sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in other words, you can live with Him one day. In other words, you can have heaven as your home. The Bible tells us that ultimately, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And with the heart we believe to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So the first thing that you need to do to respond and believe to who Jesus is based on what He said, is to call out to Him and let Him know that you believe and that you desire to be saved. It really is that simple. And there is no middle ground. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you would like to know more about us, visit our Instagram at UGABCM or visit us on our website at UGABCM.org. We hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.